Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Greatest Love Stories. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Today, Chapter 15 of The Sun Also Rises by Ernest Hemingway. And now, Chapter 15. At noon of Sunday, the 6th of July, the fiesta exploded. There is no other way to describe it. People had been coming in all day from the country, but they were assimilated in the town, and you did not notice them. The square was as quiet in the hot sun as on any other day. The peasants were in the outlying wine shops. There they were drinking, getting ready for the fiesta. They had come in so recently from the plains and the hills that it was necessary that they make their shifting in values gradually. They could not start in paying cafe prices. They got their money's worth in the wine shops. Money still had a definite value in hours worked and bushels of grain sold. Late in the fiesta, it would not matter what they paid, nor where they bought. Now, on the day of the starting of the fiesta of San Fermin, they had been in the wine shops of the narrow streets of the town since early morning. Going down the streets in the morning, on the way to Mass in the cathedral, I heard them singing through the open doors of the shops. They were warming up. There were many people at the eleven o'clock Mass. San Fermin is also a religious festival. I walked down the hill from the cathedral and up the street to the cafe on the square. It was a little before noon. Robert Cohn and Bill were sitting at one of the tables. The marble-topped tables and the white wicker chairs were gone. They were replaced by cast-iron tables and severe folding chairs. The cafe was like a battleship stripped for action. Today the waiters did not leave you alone all morning to read without asking if you wanted to order something. A waiter came up as soon as I sat down. "'What are you drinking?' I asked Bill and Robert. "'Sherry,' Cone said. "'Jerez,' I said to the waiter. Before the waiter brought the sherry, the rocket that announced the fiesta went up in the square. It burst, and there was a gray ball of smoke high up above the Theater Gaillard, across on the other side of the plaza. The ball of smoke hung in the sky like a shrapnel burst, and as I watched, another rocket came up to it, trickling smoke in the bright sunlight. I saw the bright flash as it burst, and another little cloud of smoke appeared. By the time the second rocket had burst, there were so many people in the arcade that had been empty a minute before, that the waiter, holding the bottle high up over his head, could hardly get through the crowd to our table. People were coming into the square from all sides, and down the street, we heard the pipes and the fifes and the drums coming. They were playing the real real music, the pipes shrill and the drums pounding, and behind them came the men and boys dancing. When the fifers stopped, they all crouched down in the street, and when the reed pipes and the fifes shrilled, and the flat, dry, hollow drums tapped it out again, they all went up in the air dancing. In the crowd, you saw only the heads and shoulders of the dancers going up and down. In the square, a man, bent over, was playing on a reed pipe, and a crowd of children were following him, shouting, and pulling at his clothes. He came out of the square, the children following him, and piped them past the cafe and down a side street. We saw his blank, pockmarked face as he went by, piping, the children close behind him, shouting and pulling at him. He must be the village idiot, Bill said. My God, look at that! Down the street came dancers, the street was solid with dancers, all men. They were dancing in time behind their own fifers and drummers. They were a club of some sort, 
and all wore workmen's blue smocks and red handkerchiefs round their necks and carried a great banner on two poles. The banner danced up and down with them as they came down surrounded by the crowd. Hooray for wine! Hooray for the foreigners! was painted on the banner. Where are the foreigners? Robert Cohn asked. We're the foreigners, Bill said. All the time, rockets were going up. The cafe tables were all full now. The square was emptying of people, and the crowd was filling the cafes. Where are Brett and Mike? Bill asked. I'll go and get them, Cohn said. Bring them here. The fiesta was really started. It kept up day and night for seven days. The dancing kept up. The drinking kept up. The noise went on. The things that happened could only have happened during a fiesta. Everything became quite unreal finally, and it seemed as though nothing could have any consequences. It seemed out of place to think of consequences during the fiesta. All during the fiesta you had the feeling, even when it was quiet, that you had to shout any remark to make it heard. It was the same feeling about any action. It was a fiesta, and it went on for seven days. That afternoon was the big religious procession. San Fermin was translated from one church to another. In the procession were all the dignitaries, civil and religious. We could not see them because the crowd was too great. Ahead of the formal procession and behind it danced the Rao Rao dancers. There was one mass of yellow shirts dancing up and down in the crowd. All we could see of the procession through the closely pressed people that crowded all the side streets and curbs were the great giants, cigar store Indians, 30 feet high, Moors, a king and a queen, whirling and waltzing solemnly to the Real Real. They were all standing outside the chapel where San Fermin and the dignitaries had passed in, leaving a guard of soldiers, the giants, with the men who danced in them standing behind their resting frames and the dwarfs moving with their whacking bladders through the crowd. We started inside, and there was a smell of incense and people filing back into the church. But Brett was stopped just inside the door because she had no hat. So we went out again and along the street that ran back from the chapel into town. The street was lined on both sides with people keeping their place at the curb for the return of the procession. Some dancers formed a circle around Brett and started to dance. They wore big wreaths of white garlic around their neck. They took Bill and me by the arms and put us in the circle. Bill started to dance too. They were all chanting. Brett wanted to dance, but they did not want her to. They wanted her as an image to dance around. When the song ended with the sharp real real, they rushed us into a wine shop. We stood at the counter. They had Brett seated on a wine cask. It was dark in the wine shop and full of men singing. Hard-voiced singing. Back of the counter, they drew the wine from casks. I put down money for the wine, but one of the men picked it up and put it back in my pocket. I want a leather wine bottle, Bill said. There's a place down the street, I said. I'll go get a couple. The dancers did not want me to go out. Three of them were sitting on the high wine cask beside Brett, teaching her to drink out of the wineskins. They had hung a wreath of garlics around her neck. Someone insisted on giving her a glass. Somebody was teaching Bill a song, singing it into his ear, beating time on Bill's back. I explained to them that I would be back. Outside in the street, I went down the street looking for the shop that made leather wine bottles. 
The crowd was packed on the sidewalks, and many of the shops were shuttered, and I could not find it. I walked as far as the church, looking on both sides of the street. Then I asked a man, and he took me by the arm and led me to it. The shutters were up, but the door was open. Inside it smelled of fresh tan leather and hot tar. A man was stenciling completed wineskins. They hung from the roof in bunches. He took one down, blew it up, screwed the nozzle tight, and then jumped on it. See, it doesn't leak. We'll return with our story right after these sponsor messages. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And now our story. I want another one, too, a big one. He took down a big one that would hold a gallon or more from the roof. He blew it up, his cheeks puffing ahead of the wineskin, and stood on the bota holding onto a chair. What are you going to do? Sell them in Bayonne? No, drink out of them. He slapped me on the back. Good man, eight pesetas for the two, the lowest price. The man who was stenciling the new ones and, and tossing them into a pile stopped. It's true, he said. Eight pesetas is cheap. I paid and went out and along the street back to the wine shop. It was darker than ever inside and very crowded. I did not see Brett and Bill, and someone said they were in the back room. At the counter, the girl filled the two wineskins for me. One held two liters. The other held five liters. Filling them both cost three pesetas, 60 centimos. Someone at the counter that I'd never seen before tried to pay for the wine, but I finally paid for it myself. The man who had wanted to pay then bought me a drink. He would not let me buy one in return, but he said he would take a rinse of the mouth from the new wine bag. He tipped the big five-liter bag up and squeezed it so the wine hissed against the back of his throat. All right, he said, and handed back the bag. In the back room, Brett and Bill were sitting on barrels surrounded by the dancers. Everybody had his arms on everybody else's shoulders, and they were all singing. Mike was sitting at a table with several men in their shirt sleeves, eating from a bowl of tuna fish, chopped onions, and vinegar. They were all drinking wine and mopping up the oil and vinegar with pieces of bread. Hello, Jake. Hello, Mike called. Come here. I want you to meet my friends. We're all having an hors d'oeuvre. I was introduced to the people at the table. They supplied their names to Mike and sent for a fork for me. Stop eating their dinner, Michael, Brett shouted from the wine barrels. I don't want to eat up your meal, I said when someone handed me a fork. Eat, he said. What do you think it's here for? I unscrewed the nozzle of the big wine bottle and handed it around. Everyone took a drink, tipping the wine skin at arm's length. Outside, above the singing, we could hear the music of the procession going by. Isn't that the procession? Mike asked. Nada, someone said. Eat nothing. Drink up. Lift the bottle. Where did they find you? I asked Mike. 
Someone brought me here, Mike said. They said you were here. Where's Cone? He's passed out, Brett called. They put him away somewhere. Where is he? I don't know. How should we know, Bill said. I think he's dead. He's not dead, Mike said. I know he's not dead. He's just passed out on Anis del Mono. As he said Anis del Mono, one of the men at the table looked up, brought out a bottle from inside his smock, and handed it to me. No, I said. No thanks. Yes, yes, Arriba. Up with the bottle. I took a drink. It tasted of licorice and warmed all the way. I could feel it warming in my stomach. Where the hell is Cone? I don't know, Mike said. I'll ask. Where's the drunken comrade? He asked in Spanish. You want to see him? Yes, I said. Not me, said Mike, this gent. The Anis del Mono man wiped his mouth and stood up. Come on. In the back room, Robert Cohn was sleeping quietly on some wine casks. It was almost too dark to see his face. They had covered him with a coat, and another coat was folded under his head. Around his neck and on his chest was a big wreath of twisted garlics. Let him sleep, the man whispered. He's all right. Two hours later, Cone appeared. He came into the front room, still with the wreath of garlics around his neck. The Spaniard shouted when he came in. Cone wiped his eyes and grinned. I must have been sleeping, he said. Oh, not at all, Brett said. No, you were only dead, Bill said. Aren't we going to go and have some supper? Cone asked. Do you want to eat? Yes, why not? I'm hungry. Eat those garlics, Robert, Mike said. I say, do eat those garlics. Cone stood there. His sleep had made him quite all right. Do let's go and eat, Brett said. I must get a bath. Come on, Bill said. Let's translate Brett to the hotel. We said goodbye to many people and shook hands with many people and went out. Outside it was dark. What time is it, do you suppose? Cone asked. It's tomorrow, Mike said. You've been asleep two days. Nah, said Cone. What time is it? It's ten o'clock. What a lot we've drunk. You You mean what a lot we've drunk. You went to sleep. Going down the dark streets to the hotel, we saw the skyrockets going up in the square. Down the side streets that led to the square, we saw the square solid with people, those in the center all dancing. It was a big meal at the hotel. It was the first meal of the prices being doubled for the fiesta, and there were several new courses. After the dinner, we were out in the town. I remember resolving that I would stay up all night to watch the bulls go through the streets at six o'clock in the morning and being so sleepy that I went to bed around four o'clock. The others stayed up. My own room was locked, and I could not find the key, so I went upstairs and slept on one of the beds in Cone's room. The fiesta was going on outside in the night, but I was too sleepy for it to keep me awake. When I woke, it was the sound of the rocket exploding that announced the release of the bulls from the corrals at the edge of town. They would race through the streets and out to the bullring. I had been sleeping heavily and woke feeling I was too late. I put on a coat of cones and went out on the balcony. Down below, the narrow street was empty. 
"'All the balconies were crowded with people. "'Suddenly a crowd came down the street. "'They were all running, packed close together. "'They passed along and up the street toward the bullring, "'and behind them came more men running faster, "'and then some stragglers who were really running. "'Behind them was a little bare space, "'and then the bulls, galloping, "'tossing their heads up and down. "'It all went out of sight around the corner. "'One man fell, rolled to the gutter, "'and lay quiet. "'But the bulls went right on "'and did not notice him. "'They were all running together. "'After they went out of sight, "'a great roar came from the bullring. "'It kept on. "'Then finally the pop of the rocket "'that meant the bulls had gotten "'through the people in the ring "'and into the corrals. "'I went back in the room "'and got into bed. "'I had been standing "'on the stone balcony "'in bare feet. "'I knew our crowd "'must have all been "'out of the bullring. "'Back in bed?' I went to sleep. Cone woke me when he came in. He started to undress and went over and closed the window because the people on the balcony of the house just across the street were looking in. Did you see the show? I asked. Yes, we were all there, Cone said. Anybody get hurt? One of the bulls got into the crowd in the ring and tossed six or eight people. How did Brett like it? It was all so sudden there wasn't any time for it to bother anybody. "'Ah, I wish I'd been up.' "'We didn't know where you were,' Cone said. "'We went to your room, but it was locked.' "'Where did you stay up?' "'We danced at some club.' "'Well, I got sleepy.' "'My gosh, I'm sleepy now,' Cone said. "'Doesn't this thing ever stop?' "'Nope, not for a week.' Bill opened the door and put his head in. "'Where were you, Jake?' I saw them go through from the balcony. How was it? Grand. Where are you going? To sleep. No one was up before noon. We ate at tables set out onto the arcade. The town was full of people. We had to wait for a table. After lunch, we went over to the Arunia. It had filled up, and as the time for the bullfight came, it got fuller, and the tables were crowded closer. There was a close... "'crowded hum that came every day before the bullfight. "'The café did not make the same noise at any other time, "'no matter how crowded it was. "'The hum went on, and we were in it, and a part of it. "'I had taken six seats for all the fights. Three of them were Barreras, the first row at the ringside, "'and three were Sobrepuertos, seats with wooden backs, "'halfway up the amphitheater. "'Mike thought Brett had best sit high up for her first time, "'and Cone wanted to sit with them. "'Bill and I were going to sit in the Barreras, "'and I gave the extra ticket to a waiter to sell. "'Bill said something to Cone about what to do "'and how to look so he would not mind the horses. "'Bill had seen one season of bullfights. "'I'm not worried about how I'll stand it. "'I'm only afraid I may be bored,' Cone said. "'Yeah, you think so? "'Don't look at the horses after the bull hits them.' I said to Brett, watch the charge and see the picador try to keep the bull off, but then don't look again until the horse is dead if it's been hit. I'm a little nervy about it, Brett said. I'm worried whether I'll be able to go through with it all right. You'll be all right. There's nothing but that horse part that will bother you, and they're only in for a few minutes with each bull. Just don't watch when it's bad. She'll be all right, Mike said. I'll look after her. 
"'I don't think you'll be bored,' Bill said. "'I'm going over to the hotel to get the glasses and the wineskin,' I said. "'I'll see you back here. Don't get cockeyed.' "'I'll come along,' Bill said. Brett smiled at us. We walked around through the arcade to avoid the heat of the square. "'That cone gets me,' Bill said. "'He's got this Jewish superiority so strong "'that he thinks the only emotion he'll get out of the fight "'will be being bored.' "'We'll watch him with the glasses,' I said. "'Oh, to hell with him. "'He spends a lot of time there. "'I want him to stay there.' "'In the hotel on the stairs we met Montoya. "'Come on,' said Montoya. "'Do you want to meet Pedro Romero?' "'Fine,' said Bill. "'Let's go see him.' "'We followed Montoya up a flight and down the corridor. "'He's in room number eight, Montoya explained. "'He's getting dressed for the bullfight.' "'Montoya knocked on the door and opened it. "'It was a gloomy room with a little light coming in from the window on the narrow street. "'There were two beds separated by monastic partition. "'The electric light was on. "'The boy stood very straight and unsmiling in his bullfighting clothes.' "'His jacket hung over the back of a chair. "'They were just finishing winding his sash. "'His black hair shone under the electric light. "'He wore a white linen shirt, "'and the sword handler finished his sash "'and stood up and stepped back. "'Pedro Romero nodded, "'seeming very far away and dignified when we shook hands. "'Montoya said something about what great aficionados we were "'and that we wanted to wish him luck. "'Romero listened very seriously.' Then he turned to me. You go to the bullfight, he said in English. You know English, I said, feeling like an idiot. No, he answered, and smiled. One of three men who had been sitting on the beds came up and asked us if we spoke French. Would you like me to interpret for you? Is there anything you would like to ask Pedro Romero? We thanked him. What was there that you would like to ask? The boy was nineteen years old, alone except for his sword handler, and the three hangers-on, and the bullfight was to commence in twenty minutes. We wished him mucha suerte, shook hands, and went out, shook hands, and went out. He was standing, straight and handsome and altogether by himself, alone in the room with the hangers-on, as we shut the door. "'He's a fine boy, don't you think so?' Montoya asked. "'He's a good-looking kid.' I said. He looks like a torero, Montoya said. He has the type. He's a fine boy. We'll see how he is in the ring, Montoya said. We found the big leather wine bottle leaning against the wall in my room, took it and the field glasses, locked the door, and went downstairs. It was a good bullfight. Bill and I were very excited about Pedro Romero. Montoya was sitting about ten places away. After Romero had killed his first bull, Montoya caught my eye and nodded his head. This was a real one. There had not been a real one for a long time. Of the other two matadors, one was very fair and the other was passable. But there was no comparison with Romero, though neither of his bulls was much. Several times during the bullfight, I looked up at Mike and Brett and Cohn with the glasses. They seemed to be all right. Brett did not look upset. All three were leaning forward on the concrete railing in front of them. "'Let me take the glasses,' Bill said. "'Does Cohn look bored?' I asked. 
Bill muttered a racist comment. Outside the ring, after the bullfight was over, you could not move in the crowd. We could not make our way through, but had to be moved with the whole thing, slowly, as a glacier, back to town. We had that disturbed, emotional feeling that always comes after a bullfight, and the feeling of elation that comes after a good bullfight. The fiesta was going on, the drums pounded, and the pipe music was shrill, and everywhere the flow of the crowd was broken by patches of dancers. The dancers were in a crowd, so you did not see the intricate play of the feet. All you saw was the heads and shoulders going up and down, up and down. Finally, we got out of the crowd and made for the cafe. The waiter saved chairs for the others, and we each ordered an absinthe and watched the crowd in the square and the dancers. What do you suppose that dance is? Bill asked. It's a sort of hota. They're not all the same, Bill said. They dance differently to all the different tunes. Yeah, well, it's swell dancing. In front of us on a clear part of the street, a company of boys were dancing. The steps were very intricate, and their faces were intent and concentrated. They all looked down while they danced. Their rope-soled shoes tapped and spatted on the pavement. The toes touched. The heels touched. The balls of their feet touched. Then the music broke wildly, and the step was finished, and they were all dancing up on the street. "'Here come the gentry,' Bill said. They were crossing the street. "'Hello, men,' I said. "'Hello, gents,' said Brett. "'You saved us seats. How nice.' "'I say,' Mike said, "'that Romero, what's-his-name, is somebody. Am I wrong?' "'Oh, wasn't he lovely?' Brett said. "'And those green trousers.' "'Yeah, Brett never took her eyes off them. "'I say, I must borrow your glasses tomorrow.' "'How did it go? "'Wonderfully, simply perfect. "'I say, it's a spectacle. "'How about the horses?' "'I couldn't help looking at them.' "'She couldn't take their eyes off them,' Mike said. "'She's an extraordinary wench. "'They do have some rather awful things happen to them,' Brett said. "'I couldn't look away, though.' "'Did you feel all right?' I didn't feel badly at all. Robert Cohn did, Mike put in. You were quite green, Robert. Yeah, the first horse did bother me, Cohn said. You weren't bored, were you? asked Bill. Cohn laughed. No, I wasn't bored. I wish you'd forgive me that. It's all right, Bill said, so long as you weren't bored. He didn't look bored, Mike said. "'I thought he was going to be sick.' "'No, I never felt that bad,' Cone said. "'It was just for a minute.' "'I thought he was going to be sick. "'You weren't bored, were you, Robert?' "'Let up on that, Mike. "'I said I was sorry I said it.' "'He was, you know. "'He was positively green.' "'Ah, oh, shove it, Michael.' "'You mustn't ever get bored at your first bullfight, Robert,' Mike said. "'It might make such a mess.' "'Michael, he's right. "'Shove it, Michael,' Brett said. He said Brett was a sadist, Mike said. Brett's not a sadist. She's just a lovely, healthy wench. Are you a sadist, Brett? I asked. Hope not. He said Brett was a sadist just because she has a good, healthy stomach. Won't be healthy long. Bill got Mike started on something else than cone. The waiter brought the absinthe glasses. Do you really like it? Bill asked cone. "'No, I can't say I liked it. 
"'I think it's a wonderful show.' "'Gad, yes, what a spectacle,' Brett said. "'I wish they didn't have the horse part,' Cone said. "'They're not important,' Bill said. "'After a while, you never notice anything disgusting.' "'It is a bit strong just at the start,' Brett said. "'There's a dreadful moment for me just when the bull starts for the horse.' "'The bulls were fine,' Cone said. "'Yeah, they were very good,' said Mike. "'I want to sit down below next time.' Brett drank from her glass of absinthe. "'She wants to see the bullfighters close by,' Mike said. "'They are something,' Brett said. "'That Romero lad is just a child.' "'He's a good-looking boy,' I said. "'When we were up in his room, I never saw a better-looking kid.' "'How old do you suppose he is?' Brett said. Nineteen, twenty. "'Just imagine it.' "'The bullfight on the second day was much better than on the first. "'Brett sat between Mike and me at the Barrera, "'and Bill and Cohn went up above. "'Romero was the whole show. "'I do not think Brett saw any other bullfighter. "'No one else did either, except the hard-shell technicians. "'It was all Romero. "'There were two other matadors.' "'but they did not count. "'I sat beside Brett "'and explained to Brett what it was all about. "'I told her about watching the bull, "'not the horse, "'when the bulls charged the picadors, "'and got her to watching the picador "'place the point of his pick "'so that she saw what it was all about, "'so that it became more something "'that was going on with a definite end "'and less of a spectacle with unexplained horrors. "'I had her watch how Romero "'took the bull away from the fallen horse "'with his cape, "'and how he held him with the cape "'and turned him, "'smoothly and suavely, never wasting the bull. "'She saw how Romero avoided every brusque movement "'and saved his bulls for the last when he wanted them, "'not winded and discomposed, but smoothly worn down. "'She saw how close Romero always worked to the bull, "'and I pointed out to her the tricks the other bullfighters used "'to make it look as though they were working closely. "'She saw why she liked Romero's cape work "'and why she did not like the others.' Romero never made any contortions. Always it was straight and pure and natural in line. The others twisted themselves like corkscrews, their elbows raised, and leaned against the flanks of the bull after his horns had passed, to give a faked look of danger. Afterward, all that was faked turned bad and gave an unpleasant feeling. Romero's bullfighting gave real emotion, because he kept the absolute purity of line in his movements, and always quietly and calmly let the horns pass him close each time. He did not have to emphasize their closeness. Brett saw how something that was beautifully done close to the bull was ridiculous if it were done a little way off. I told her how since the death of Joselito, all the bullfighters had been developing a technique that simulated this appearance of danger in order to give a fake emotional feeling, while the bullfighter was really safe. Romero was doing things the old way, the holding of his purity of line through the maximum of exposure, while he dominated the bull by making him realize he was unattainable, while he prepared him for the killing. "'I've never seen him do an awkward thing,' Brett said. "'You won't until he gets frightened,' I said. "'He'll never be frightened,' Mike said. "'He knows too damn much.' "'He knew everything when he started. "'The others can't ever learn what he was born with.' "'And, God, what looks?' Brett said. "'I believe, you know, that she's falling in love with this bullfighter chap,' Mike said. 
"'I wouldn't be surprised.' "'Be a good chap, Jake. "'Don't tell her anything more about him. "'Tell her how they beat their old mothers.' "'Tell me what drunks they are,' Brett said. "'Oh, frightful,' Mike said. "'Drunk all day and spent all their time "'beating their poor old mothers.' "'He looks that way,' Brett said. "'Doesn't he?' I said. "'They had hitched the mules to the dead bull, "'and then the whips cracked, the men ran, "'and the mules, straining forward, "'their legs pushing, broke into a gallop, "'and the bull, one horn up, "'his head on its side, "'swept a swath smoothly across the sand "'and out the red gate. "'This next is the last one.' "'Not really,' Brett said. "'She leaned forward on the Barrera.' "'Romero waved his picadors to their places, "'then stood, his cape against his chest, "'looking across the ring to where the bull would come out. "'After it was over, we went out and were pressed tight in the crowd. "'These bullfights are hell on one,' Brett said. "'I'm limp as a rag.' "'Oh, you'll get a drink,' Mike said. "'The next day, Pedro Romero did not fight. "'It was Miura Bulls, and a very bad bullfight.' The next day there was no bullfight scheduled, but all day and all night the fiesta kept on. Thank you for joining us today for Chapter 15 of The Sun Also Rises by Ernest Hemingway. We'll return next Sunday night at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Until then, everyone, this is your host, John Hagedorn. This is 1001 Greatest Love Stories. Stay safe, everyone, and we'll be back soon. Saving money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options. In stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money.